Today we treat nonlinear systems, and until now we only have discussed uh, linear systems, but nonlinear systems are more present in nature than linear systems, but many systems, fortunately enough, we can approximate by a linear system, which has certain advantages. First of all, we will discuss uh, various nonlinearities, yeah, where they come from, yeah. why do you have nonlinearities in the system. Uh, we will consider some analysis in the, in the so-called phase plane, and we will do an analysis using describing functions. There are many kinds of nonlinearities. Sometimes you, you add a nonlinearity deliberately, but in most cases the, the, the physical environment you are facing has nonlinear elements present. So friction in a mechanical system, in many cases if you make a model of a system, it's easy to make to, to model the friction as so-called viscous friction. Viscous friction is a friction force which is uh, equal to a constant times the, the, the speed, the, the velocity. But there is also the, the, the static friction or Coulomb friction, which is uh, constant and only depends on the sign of the speed. So if you uh, you move something on a dry surface, there's always friction, and the friction is constant. It doesn't depend so much on the speed. And stiction is a, an example where you you must do some extra effort to, to start moving. That's in, especially in mechanical systems. This is uh, well, I would say, omnipresent. But you also have saturation and amplifier. If you, you buy a, a stereo installation, you pay a lot more if it's linear for high, uh, high power. Yeah. So it's, it's a cheap, inexpensive installation has a lot of saturation. So you can't uh, put up the volume too far because then the, the sound doesn't uh, sound uh, good enough anymore. So that's due to the nonlinearities in the amplifier. You also have switching elements in, in thermostats, that's a control element, so you make that yourself. Why do you put a switching element in a thermostat and not a nice uh, proportional controller? There are reasons for that. And in many systems you also have parameters that dep depend upon the operating point. If, there is a, if you have, a, for instance, a quadratic relation between some signals, you also have a nonlinear element, and then the, uh, the linear model depends upon the, uh, the operating condition. So here's an example what happens if you have mechanical frictions, for instance. I have two similar models from the outside. So this is a, an amplifier. This is an electrical motor with a, with a load. And we examine the speed of the two motors. One has uh, Coulomb friction and the other one doesn't have Coulomb friction. We run a simulation with this model, and then we put a, an input signal on this uh, system. Yes, okay, no. So here's the simulation. We put a step input on both systems. And we see that the motor with only viscous friction starts to move and goes to a certain speed. The other motor just stands still. So what we can do is increase the, uh, the input voltage. So the signal generator had a value 0.5. Let's make it 1. And repeat the experiment. And now we see that also the other motor starts turning. But there remains a difference of 0.5. 
if I increase the uh, the amplitude of the signal generator, well, let's make it uh, two. Here you see that, uh, well, originally we had uh, one remaining behind. This was 0.5. Then we had a difference here of 0.5, and we still have this difference. Yeah? So I will uh, will clean up uh, everything and, and do it once again. You see that the difference remains 0.5. Yeah? That's because there's a constant force working opposite the accelerating force due to the friction. Okay. Well, that's something which is not very nice, because if you want to make very small movements, you must have some extra voltage here yeah. at the input in order to get the system moving at, at all. Yeah? Well, this is a repetition of the examples. Well, it was apparently a current source, not a voltage source, but that doesn't matter so much. Here you see that there is a constant uh, difference between the two. So for a nonlinear system, the output can be zero for small input changes. If the input signal increases with a factor alpha, yeah, so if you double it, the change in the output can be smaller or even larger than, than alpha. Yes? So that's typical a property of a linear system. A linear system is a system where if the input signal increases with a factor alpha, the output also changes with a factor alpha. Yeah. And when we add the two input signals, the output is also the uh, addition of the two original output signals. Yeah? That's property of linear systems. We don't have that here. If we look at the characteristic and we plot uh, the, the friction force as a function of uh, omega, we see that viscous friction has this behavior. So we have a friction force uh, equivalent to, uh, to omega times a constant. It's proportional to omega. The friction force we just observed was this one, where depending upon the sign of, uh, of omega, we had a constant friction. And as I said, there can also be stiction, the property that if something stands still, the friction is higher than the static friction. So that gives a characteristic which looks like this, which is for simulation purposes uh, quite difficult because you have an infinite gain for, 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 small, uh, for small omega. So this is really a naughty element. You can uh, translate uh, when we forget the friction. Uh, we, we have a characteristic like this. Uh, we, we forget the stiction. We have a characteristic like this. And we could put such an element in the forward path and simulate. Here you see that uh, for a certain range of input values, nothing happens. And then it goes linearly up. But if you would translate this as a gain, the, the, the gain seems to increase. And, and if you have very high signals, you don't see this dead zone. I call this a dead zone. It's completely different than dead time. That, that time was a time delay. This is just an, an, a range of signals where nothing happens at the output if the input changes. Yeah. So this is a warning. It's sometimes uh, confused. Okay. Saturation. Well, that's due to, uh, for instance, if you have a valve in, 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 a, in a pipe, yeah? if the maximum opening of the valve is reached, no more water can, can go through the pipe. Mm. Uh, the output voltage of an amplifier limited by the voltage or power supply or even by the uh, 
the elements in the, the system. An end stop, if you have a motion which has a safe area where it can move and there is an end stop, it, well, the motion can never be larger than the end stop. Well, saturation is a behavior like this, so as long as the system doesn't saturate, you have a, a linear behavior between input and output, and if the input becomes larger, then the output doesn't change anymore, and that uh, is something you can certainly hear in, uh, in audio signals. Well, this is uh, a simple saturation demonstration. So the upper part is uh, without saturation, the lower part is with uh, saturation. We can simulate this. This is the uh, input signal. And if we increase the input, make it uh, 1. Still the same. We make it 2. And then you see that uh, saturation happens. Eh? The blue one is without saturation. The purple one is with saturation. Until a certain level, you don't see the difference. But here you clearly see the difference. Eh? So we clear this. Yeah, this is clear, I think. Eh? Yeah. Well, here it's repeated. And at a certain moment, uh, such a saturation element looks like a relay. Eh? If this, the sinusoidal signal is very big, it, it's, it's just a, a block wave coming out. Eh? Yeah. Because the slopes are getting uh, steeper and steeper. Yeah. Well, you can also hear that. Hmm? So here I, uh, I have a sinusoidal signal of, uh, say, 1000 hertz. I put that through a signal limiter. I look at the response. This is the input signal. This is the output signal. And if you listen to the, the sound... The first tone you hear is a pure 1000 hertz. And the next one is the saturated one. So it has the, the ground frequency. You hear the thousand hertz. Yeah. But what you uh, also hear is higher harmonics, eh? more high frequencies. It's, it's sharper. Eh? So. Yeah. Okay. So this is the simulation again. And you clearly hear the difference because the, the ground frequency still, if you say, well, if I have to approximate this by a sinusoidal signal, you have the same signal as here, but there are much more higher frequencies. Yeah. And you can clearly hear that. If you do a fast Fourier analysis, and by using this signal and making a fast Fourier analysis, you see that the original signal has a, a certain frequency here, mm -hmm. and there are higher harmonics in the saturated signal. So a thermostat, that's probably one of the most widely used controllers in the world. Eh? You have temperature control in, in buildings, in uh, boilers, in, uh, in refrigerators. Mm -hmm. 
cars, motor cooling, air conditioning systems. Especially if you have a, a, a complete air conditioning system, you don't want to have the, the same element switching on the heat if it's too cold. And if there is some overshoot, switching on the, the, the cooling when it's, uh, it's too, too warm. Huh? So mm-hmm. mostly these are different systems. So basically a thermostat is a relay which only has an output if the error is positive. Oh. And then nothing happens when the error is negative. So if you have the combination of uh, heating and cooling systems, then you have another thermostat. And probably the uh, the error zero should not be completely zero. That should be a little bit to the right. And this one should be a little bit to the left. You want a certain dead zone where you say, well, this error is acceptable. Hmm? Okay. The idea is that it makes no sense to damp the overshoot caused by the heating system by switching on the air conditioning. That's very expensive and probably not pleasant either. So in practice only one of the two systems is active and that gives this situation so that you have some some dead zone. And that's typically what happens with control systems in the human body as well. If you... There are different mechanisms to, 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 to heat up your body and to cool down your body. Eh? Yeah, you, you heat up by, by, by emotions and eh? by, by burning food yeah. and you cool down by evaporation of sweat. Eh? Yeah. So this is a typical example of a thermostat in a, in a home heating system, a very simple model. We model the room as a, a time constant. Eh? So if you switch on the heat, it takes quite some time before the room heats up. But also the boiler and the, and, the, and the piping of a central heating system has, has a time constant which is mostly quite a bit smaller than the time constant of the room. So if we use a simple thermostat here, that's the situation. So this, this is, well, even more than just a simple thermostat. This one is able to, to heat up and cool down unless we make this value zero. So we can do that by making this value zero. Yeah. Then we can just heat up and cool down, nothing happens. Okay. So we can run a demonstration of such a system. Here it is. And what we see here that this is apparently not what you have at home. And uh, we see that, that you want a temperature increase of 5 degrees. So the, uh, the, the boiler starts up heating. Mm-hmm. Then when the, heat, the, the final value is reached, it switches off. But because there is a lot of uh, heat in the, uh, in the pipes and uh, in the radiators, yeah, the room is still heated more. There's some overshoot. So in this case, it even cools down. It's, it's not... Uh, brought back to zero, then we would even have another behavior. Then, again, it switched on, but you see that the error is getting smaller and smaller, so it's a very accurate controller. But the frequency of the thermostat also increases. eh? You must imagine that there is a mechanical relay, and you hear this. eh? So you hear tick, tick, and at the end it's like uh, a gun. eh? So that's not not what you want. eh? This is uh, not only noise, but also it, it, it wears the, uh, the thermostat. Eh? So if you have all these uh, high-frequency motions, if, if you hear noise, there is wear. Hmm? 
So what you could do, you could uh, could add a dead zone. So we can look at the, the difference then. And what we see, that if we have a dead zone, indeed we have uh, a steady state error. So the, the, the final value is not reached, but the relay is not more quiet. So that doesn't help. What we should do is make a hysteresis. That means that we switch on the heat if the error is larger than a certain value. Then as long as the error is large, the heat is on. And the heat is switched off, then we have reached the final temperature. And then, of course, uh, this is a stadium that the system is cooling down. And then at a certain moment, the error increases again, but it's only switched on again if the the, the limit, uh, the threshold is, is passed. So that indeed helps, and so we get a much more quiet behavior, but we get small oscillations around the equilibrium, and that's typical for this kind of uh, thermostat systems. And if the uh, the frequency is not too high, and on the other hand the oscillations are not too large, that can be a, quite a comfortable heating system. We call this a limit cycle. So a limit cycle is in fact a stable oscillation in a nonlinear system because it's not a nice sinusoidal oscillation. You see that the heating up goes faster than cooling down. Yeah. Well, you probably have seen this one and it's uh, used for, for almost 100 years and it's a, a nice, uh, nice thermostat. It's a very clever device. We will analyze this a little bit more in detail. If you ever see one, just take off the cap and look inside. There's a small tube with, uh, with quicksilver, which forms the relay without uh, real mechanical contacts. And then a piece of uh, bimetal, uh, which uh, bends when the, the, the temperature changes, and that's the, the switching. But there's also a clever trick. Because what we saw that uh, we always have overshoot in, in such systems. We have overshoot. And you can predict what's going to happen if you put a little resistor here. And if the heat is switched on, there is also a current through the resistor. Then the resistor heats up. And that's measured by the thermostat. So the the temperature of the the sensing element is a little bit higher than the room temperature. So it switches off earlier. And that that really helps. So this is a very simple model. This is my room model I used before. This is the uh, what they call here the heat anticipation, and there is also a small lever which you can uh, can change in order to uh, to determine the amount of heat going through the resistor depending upon the characteristics of your house. Mm. Nobody knows this, and that uh, is also a first order system. And well, you add these two, and that's the result. So we can simulate that as well. Here we have it, and in fact this is one of the standard demonstrations in, available in 20SIM as well. So this is the situation we had before, this is the relay, this is the room temperature, and this is the temperature of the resistor, this, this is the scale here, but this was not switched on yet. Okay. So I load another experiment now. Experiment, yeah, that's what I want. 
and now you see that the uh, the resistor also heats up. Huh? That helps to reduce the overshoot. And here we get uh, a very steady behavior. And the oscillations are gone. And the switching uh, frequency is still very reasonable. Yeah. And that's due to this extra signal. Okay. So even such a very simple device has some quite complex philosophy behind it. Well, another example is if uh, there's some work I did a lot in, in the past, uh, automatic steering of ships. And so if you look at the steering system of a ship, you have a steering machine, which is a hydraulic device. There can be a certain rudder angle, which is asked for. There's always a, a limiter here as well. There's a maximum rudder angle. But also the speed of the rudder is limiter. So you have a rate limiter in your steering machine. Then this is the rudder angle. But also the ship itself, it has... Uh, Nonlinear properties. If you have a rudder angle of 10 degrees, you have a rate of turn, let's say, of uh, 2 degrees per second. If you double the, uh, the rudder angle, you get a rate of turn of uh, 3 degrees per second. And, uh, and you can describe that by a third order feedback here. And then uh, I will show what happens then. So this is the, uh, the blue one is the rudder. The red one is the rate of turn. If we increase the rudder angle, we double it. We see that the rate of turn doesn't double. And if we increase it further, the rate of turn stays behind. Well, we can uh, can make a model of that and say, well, of course, we can model the rate of turn as a function of the rudder angle. But you can also do it the other way around to say, well, this is the rate of turn. And this is the rudder angle belonging to a certain rate of turn. You see that this is clearly a nonlinear characteristic. And that you can realize that by this, uh, by this formula. You say delta, the rudder angle is a constant times the rate of turn plus another constant times the rate of turn with a power 3. And this would be the description of the forward path, but, but this is a more easy formula. Hmm? Yeah. And this can happen with, with very large uh, crude uh, carriers, uh, oil tankers, that they even have a, a negative slope here. Hmm? That means that uh, with a rudder angle zero, they will always start turning. Hmm? Mm -hmm. If you do that in the forward path, it's a kind of hysteresis behavior. So, so you, you must always be steering, otherwise the, the ship will turn away. Yes. These, these ships are very difficult to steer. Well, it's interesting that an autopilot can do the job very easily. So this is an overview we saw so far. We had the friction element. We had a dead zone, a dead band. We had saturation. We had a relay. A relay was a dead zone, sometimes in two different uh, functionalities. And the relay with hysteresis. Why? Why do we have nonlinearities? Why don't we make systems linear? In most cases, it's it's very difficult or, or expensive to make a linear system. So that's the cause of friction and saturation. You have to pay a price if you want to remove friction, if you want to remove saturations. And sometimes it's wanted for safety reasons. If you well, let's, let's look at the boiler again. Your, your boiler in a home uh, central heating system, you don't want the, the water starting cooking. Mm -hmm. So there is a maximum relay which prevents the, the boiler from becoming too warm. Okay. That's a safety issue. And it's cheap. Huh? For instance, if you look at the uh, thermostat, it, it combines a lot of things. If you realize that the thermostat is, is a controller, and it's also a power amplifier. Mm -hmm. 
a very inexpensive power amplifier. If you wanted to make a linear power amplifier for, for, for high power applications, it would be much more expensive than just making such a switching element. So the, the thermostat is, an, is also everything is integrated with other functions, sensing and set point. If you want to make a systematic analysis of such a system, it's, it's difficult. Constructing it is cheap. Eh? Mm-hmm. Mostly if you make it cheap, the analysis is more difficult. So sometimes nonlinearities are just uh, unwanted. But the good thing is that uh, if you apply feedback then the behavior of a good feedback control system is only determined by the elements in the feedback path. And that's something you add. Eh? Mm-hmm. That's why you can change a, a mechanical structure or, or a chemical plant by adding feedback, mostly in embedded controllers. So, so you add that feedback system that realized in a computer, and then as a whole, the system behaves differently. So high gain feedback can compensate for unwanted nonlinearities such as friction. And we go back to this example again. We had one motor with friction, the other one without friction. Mm-hmm. And we now use a feedback system with a reasonably high gain and see what the uh, what the difference is. So here we have the example where we have the input signal of uh, 0.5. In the first example we saw that with a signal 0.5 one of the motors did not move at all. In this case we see that both motors move. Uh, the one with only viscous friction goes to the blue value. The one with the column friction added goes to the red value. So there is a difference but it's smaller than before. Yeah. And we can make this difference smaller by... Uh, by changing the gain, here we have a gain of 10, uh, if we make that uh, 100, we see that the system becomes faster, but also the, the error gets smaller. Eh? Yeah. So there's almost no difference anymore between the system with and without, uh, without the column friction. And what we did in fact, we applied a, a feedback of the velocity. Eh? And it's called Tacho feedback. So velocity feedback of a motor is, is one of the best means to reduce the the not nice behavior of such a motor. Can be solved by uh, by this feedback. So independent of the the input signal, now the system behaves now much more linear. So we, if we increase the, the input signal, well, the output increases as well. So this can be considered, this compensated system behaves as a linear system again. So we can linearize a, complex, a non-linear system by proper feedback. And, well, in case of, of a motor, yeah, especially Tacho feedback is an effective means to get rid of the deteriorating effects of static and column friction. Another possibility using more model information is uh, putting an inverse characteristic in series with the model. Eh? So if you have the, in the feedback, you have this, this friction characteristics, mm-hmm. characteristic. If you inverse it, invert it and put it in the forward path, you can eliminate it. Eh? Okay. 
But well, that's very sensitive for the parameters. If you overcompensate, the, the motor is always moving uh, to the left or to the right. Hmm? So this is the idea. You say, well, this is my motor with friction, hmm? and I could uh, could compensate. In fact, I could represent this friction, which is in fact here, by uh, by such an element in the forward path. This is, so this is the motor with friction. If I add this element. Hmm? Which uh, starts with, uh, if there's an, uh, an input signal here, the output is always at least, for instance, uh, 0.5 volt. And for the rest, it goes linearly up. It compensates th- this element. Eh? Yeah. But if this is too high, you have overcompensation. If this is too low, there still remains some dead zone. So in that sense, feedback is more effective. And, and in fact, what I did here is, is, well, if I have this element, if I put that there as well, it, it compensates. Eh? In the forward past, it is represented by its inverse, like that, and that together is one, yeah. if all the parameters are right. Okay, this was just the introduction, and that the problems you are facing are one of the solutions. Another point is that sometimes you want to make a more detailed analysis of such a system. And this is something which is applicable in more situations, but especially used for, for nonlinear systems that we consider the behavior of the state x2 as a function of the state x1 and that's called the phase plane and we plot signals in that domain so so far if we have an error here at t is 0 and we have a relay like this the response will be like this so the output signal 4 of x1 will go in time to 0 we have seen that with step inputs if we uh, we Consider that in the phase plane, and we can just do that by playing with the plot properties and not plotting the function, the signals as a function of time, but as a function of, uh, plotting x2 as a function of uh, x1. Increase this a bit. So here you see that I have x2 versus x1. This is the signal we saw before. In this case, the error t is 0 is 4. The velocity is 0. Then we get a negative velocity. And it goes to a maximum because of the relay. And the relay is a kind of step. So that's step-like behavior. So there's a kind of saturation in the velocity here. Then here the error is 0, so the relay switches. That's... uh, this point, so the velocity decreases, the error becomes negative, and then at this point the velocity increases again, so I I could probably do it like this, no you don't see it then here in the same time, eh? but this point Mm -hmm. is here, and here we switch again, And here you see this uh, that limit cycle that dies out. Eh? So it uh, the frequency increases and the uh, the error is getting smaller and smaller. So this is called the phase plane. Well, you easily do that with a computer, but you can can do that by by hand as well. 
So we, we, we can do this, uh, these calculations quite easily and if the system is relatively simple. So a phase plane, a phase plane analysis is mainly limited to second order systems or second systems that can be described as a second order system. If you have more states, then it's difficult to plot that uh, because then you get three dimensional plot, four dimensional plots. So X2 as a function of X1 can easily be done. So we consider here the situation that we have a pure relay with the output plus or minus M. And the gain is 1, huh? as easy as it can be. Then the equations are, well, this, we saw that last time, x1 dot, the derivative of x1 is x2, and x2 is minus x2, plus the output of the relay, it's plus m if epsilon is greater than 0, or x1 smaller than 0, and it's minus m huh? if epsilon is smaller than 0, x1 is greater than 0. So these, uh, these are the equations repeated again. And now we take this equation and divide it by the other one. We say the dx, no, this equation divided by this equation. So dx2 dt divided by dx1 dt, which is exactly these two equations. So that's minus x2 plus m divided by x2 in one case and minus m in the other case. And now we can define uh, this ratio, and this is the, the, the slope of the, uh, the trajectory. And we call that value m. And if m is a constant, we can draw so-called isoclean. So that these are lines with an equal slope. And we have two, two formulas again for, for m. Well, we are going to analyze the system for various values of m. So if x2 is 0, so if the, uh, we are on the uh, horizontal axis, we fill in x2 is 0, then m is plus infinity or minus infinity. If x2 is equal to m, yeah, that was the, the maximum value, then the slope is 0. But in this case... It's minus 2. Here's the other way around. Minus 2 and 0. Well, halfway, we have 1. And minus 3. Minus 3 and 1. It's symmetrical, of course. Well, that's just filling in various values of x2, which are uh, cleverly sh chosen. So if we plot that here, we see that for x2 is 0, the slope is uh, plus infinity. So we know that it is clean will go in that way. Yeah. In this case, it goes that way. Well, we can do that for all the, the values. That gives us this, uh, this figure. You don't need a computer for this. Eh? You can do this by hand. Okay. So if you start here, well, you can predict that the, the trajectory will behave like this. Eh? Yeah. What we just saw. Eh? Something like this. Well, this is a drawing you can make on a piece of paper. And of course the computer can do that more accurately. But this gives some insight in, in what happens. If we add a dead zone, we, we can do the computations again. Yeah, but you can do that yourself. And then we see that there is an area with a constant slope here. So it crosses the dead zone with a constant slope. And then it's powered again 
and then it reaches a steady state with some steady state error. And if we would have a different initial condition here, then the steady state error would be different at the end. So so it can stop here. Anywhere in the dead zone, the system can stop. Well, of course, if you want uh, an error zero, you must take care that this uh, this last characteristic of preferably this one always ends here. Hmm? So if you can switch a little bit earlier, that would help. And that's a trick which you can do by taking into account the, the velocity of the response, that you can change the switching. Hmm? And that means that you make the, the, the dead zone giving a certain slope and here we have the situation where we have this uh, this switching line well this is so high frequent that it's difficult to to plot This is okay. You see that this is exactly the good value, but it's also depending uh, in certain cases. If it's, it's not a pure line of the initial conditions, we see that the system starts moving. Mm-hmm. Then it reaches the, the switching line and exactly goes to uh, to zero here. Mm-hmm. But that very much depends upon the value of the uh, of the gain here. It's chosen one. If we uh, we change that a little bit. Well, let, let's make it two. Hmm? Then we switch too early. Okay. And what you don't see here is that there is a, a lot, lot hidden. Huh? There's, there's a lot of more switching. You see that it, go, it becomes very slow. Hmm? Yes. It, it, it creeps to the final value. But there's a lot of switches, but they are not displayed here because of the uh, the accuracy of the plot. Hmm? It's just so high frequent that it cannot be plotted anymore. If we make it smaller, of course, the effect is is less, and uh, that might uh, might give some some overshoot again. Hmm? Mm-hmm. And here you see that it switches two times here. Okay. And this is uh, you see that here as well. Hmm? It even switches a little bit more. So here at the end, so there'll probably something happen as well. And also that it is some steady state error because we still have the dead zone. And here it crosses just the dead zone. Eh? Yeah. So again here what we saw before, velocity feedback stabilizes the system. Eh? So, so we can reduce the, the oscillations by this velocity feedback. But it's more complex than in the, much more complex than in the, in the linear case. Eh? In this case, if you use a switch line, the, the dead zone can be made smaller, which is another advantage. Eh? You can have a more accurate system, and this is the desired situation. Or you can be a little bit faster if you make bang-bang. If you say, well, I, I first switch on maximum power, and then if I am near destination, I ma- break with a maximum speed. So this is the situation we have with, the, uh, with only one switching. And this is the situation we have, that's the, 
the red one yeah, we, we go on a little bit longer with uh, with powering on the system and then we, we break with a maximum velocity this is called the bang bang controller yeah? so maximum power forward and then maximum braking well this is an optimal time optimal system this is the best you can do with this controller yeah? mm-hmm. this is the quickest response you can get but it's very sensitive for uh, for the accurate switching here yeah? if you are a little bit too late you have overshoot if you are too early you get a lot of switches. Hmm? Well, this is better represented. Here you see all these, uh, and, and uh, the frequency increases here, yeah? so you don't see it here anymore. But this is, should be red all the time. Hmm? Yeah. Well, a little bit more complex way of describing uh, systems, but which gives some some other insight is with describing functions. Again, we consider here relay, and now we want to consider this as a kind of uh, of gain, which depends upon the the input signal. You know, if the input signal is very large, the, the gain is very low. Yeah, because if we double the input signal, then we, we hardly see that we don't see that to the output. If the the input signal varies with, with very small values, the change in the outputs are very large. So the, the gain goes to infinity for for small uh, for small signals at the input. And you can analyze that uh, systematically if you suppose that you have always sinusoidal signals at the input of your nonlinear element. So in this case, we put a sinusoidal signal here. Then we can describe this for sinusoidal signals as a kind of gain. And of course, you have seen that this causes higher harmonics. Hmm? But normally, a standard system has low-pass character, so the higher harmonics are filtered out. And that means that, uh, again, this, this looks like a kind of sinusoidal signal again. Uh, we consider sinusoidal signals because we want to use describing functions mainly for stability analysis. And at the border of stability, signals get a sinusoidal behavior. Even if it's not a pure sinusoidal signal, the first harmonic is sinusoidal. So we only consider the first harmonic of the signal. And we can do that because every, well, most realistic processes have a low-pass character. So this is my sinusoidal input signal. This is the relay output. And that's the output uh, low-pass filtered by the process. So again, this is, well, it's not a very nice sinusoidal signal, but it's a little bit alike. So now we consider a nonlinear element with output signal yt and x is x max sinus omega t as input signal. We can develop that in the Fourier series. I hope you are aware of Fourier analysis. Every nonlinear system can be described by a series of sinusoidal signals, eh? sinus and cosine signals added in the, the right way. Well, these are some equations. I don't uh, go through it, uh, which are the theory behind Fourier functions. And then you can determine the the different uh, elements. So if we do so, then we can uh, make the describing function of a nonlinear element. And we describe that as the modulus and the argument, where the modulus is equal to y1. That's one of the elements we saw here in the Fourier analysis divided by the maximum value of the, the sinusoidal signal at the input. Okay. So this is the amplitude of the sinusoidal signal 
This is the value of y1 just computed. This is the first, uh, the coefficient of the first uh, harmonic. And some phase. In most of the cases we consider here the phase is zero, so there's only an amplitude uh, which changes as a function of x max always. So here we have the input signal x max sinus omega t. The output signal, the first harmonic is i1 sine omega t plus phi. And this nonlinear element in between describes that. Well, if you do that for a relay, the equations become uh, very simple. And we find the coefficient a1 being equal to this expression, which is zero. Uh, so phi is zero, because phi is the arc tank of A1 over B. So if A1 over B1, if B1 is not zero, phi is zero. And for all radial symmetric single value nonlinearities, that means that they are symmetric with respect to the origin, and they are not like uh, hysteresis having more than one value for the same input signal. A1 is zero, and there's no phase lag. So then we go on with uh, the other component, B1. And we see that in this case, B1 is 4m over pi. So the describing function of a relay is 4m over pi times 1 over x max. And if we plot that as a function of x max, we see that for x max is 1, we have the value 4m over pi. But we also see that if the input signal is very small, the amplitude of the input signal is very small, the, the describing function gain goes to infinity. So, and well, these values are not that important, but what's important is that you have a very high gain for small signals, and the gain goes to zero for high values. Yeah. For high amplitudes of the sinusoidal signal. Yeah. Always remember it's for sinusoidal signals only. So we have now two descriptions. This is the input-output relation, and this is the, the gain. There's a plot of the gain as a function of the amplitude of the input signal. We can also consider uh, a linear gain, just a, a gain k, which is a straight line through the origin where i, y is represented as a function of x. Then the describing function is a constant. So the describing function is a kind of amplitude-dependent gain. Well, now, describing function or relay with that zone. For large values of x, it must be equal to, to the relay. The describing function for small values of x, nothing happens. So the gain is zero. Yeah. So we know that for small values of x, the gain is zero. For high values of x, we get this asymptotic behavior. So there must be a, a peak, there must be a maximum, eh? something like this. And if you do all the computations, you can compute that indeed, if x is beyond the dead zone d, mm -hmm. then the, the gain increases, and there's a maximum in the gain, that's yeah, so the gain would, would go up like, like, like this, mm -hmm. but there's a maximum in the gain for d times square root 2, where we have the value 2m over p, pi d. Mm -hmm. So, and, and this is important that in this case, the, the gain doesn't go to infinity as in the other case, eh? If you remember again the example we saw in the beginning, eh, we had a, the heating system with the pure relay. Yeah. And we saw that the frequency of the uh, 
the switching increased, but that the steady state error was zero. Yeah. Why? Because the gain was infinity. Okay. And with the relay, you have an infinite uh, gain. And that's the, the former example. Hmm? So here we saw that the gain for, for small, if the error is getting smaller and smaller, and if the error is getting smaller, the gain increases. Okay. So, so that this, the error gets small, again smaller because we have a higher gain. In, in, in this case, you see that you don't have an infinitely high gain, so the, 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 there will be a steady state error, but for stability reasons, if you want to reduce the, the number of switchings, hmm, this should be, uh, this should be better. Hmm? Yes. Again, as built up of the normal linear gain and relay, the first part here is just like a normal gain, so that will be a straight line, and then from this value on, it's like a relay, so it will fall off. Eh? So you can predict without any computation that it should look like that. Eh? Yeah. You can use describing functions for stability analysis, analysis eh? and only for sinusoidal signals. So you can't say, well, it's just like a gain. I can do all the computation. I can, can compute a, a damping ratio. Eh? And I can use it in a root locus manner. Eh? That's, that's not possible. But you can do it for stability anal analysis. So that means that uh, if you make a system like this, and just for stability analysis, you could say, well, I uh, I describe my system now by a kind of uh, characteristic equation, but now with the n, the nonlinear element in the uh, expression, and the system is uh, unstable if this value is uh, minus 1. Or my frequency characteristic of the linear part of the system is minus 1 over nx max. This, this looks like a kind of root locus equation. Hmm? And this is the Nyquist plot. Hmm? And this is the inverse of the describing function. So if we have a Nyquist plot here, hmm? and we have, uh, for instance, uh, just a gain as non-linear element, well, this is a linear element, but this is the most simple example. We we, we take the non-linear element equal to a linear gain. Then we see that we have here a fixed point, and the system is stable as long as this fixed point is not inside the uh, the Nyquist plot. So this is stable, and if it's inside, it's unstable. This is the relay. And we see that the relay for small errors, the value goes to infinity, but so the inverse goes to zero. Yes. That means that if x in increases, this goes to zero, so this the inverse goes to infinity. Yeah. This point, one over k, goes to infinity. So for large errors, the system is stable. For small errors, the system is unstable. But if the system is unstable, the error increases. Mm -hmm. So it comes there. It's stable again. Unstable. So at the end, you get a situation that exactly here, you have this crossing anywhere here. And that gives you the amplitude of the oscillation. Mm -hmm. So that's the amplitude of the limit cycle. Okay. Well, that, uh, that can be simulated as well, but I will show it here. So, I start with a very small error. The error increases until the stable limit cycle is, uh, is achieved. Mm -hmm. Here, 
I have a dead zone. Yeah, so that means that I don't reach the reach the uh, infinity value, so I don't go t- until here. But let's suppose that we have the peak. Yeah? The one one divided by the peak value is is about here. Then we see that if the error increases, then if x max increases, the system becomes unstable and then stable again. So if it increases here, the system is stable, so the error decreases, and then we come in the unstable area, so, so we get an equilibrium point here. In this case, we also get the equilibrium point there, because this is an unstable equilibrium. Yeah. And that can be uh, analyzed here as well. So if uh, the initial value of y is smaller than the dead zone, there's no reaction. If we have 1.3, we have this reaction, we see that it grows to a certain value. Mm-hmm. If we have uh, 1.1, it just comes to a stable the rest situation. And that that's in fact what we see here. This is the uh, the gain of uh, the, the linear part at the intersection with the real axis. So we have two crossings here. If the uh, the error is in the beginning is small but below this value, we can have some oscillation, but the, the oscillation dies out. If we are above here with our x max at t zero, we go over the peak to this situation, and from here we go there as well. So that gives this stable limit cycle and the other one as well as stable limit cycle. So here, the same regions again, considered from the other point of view. Well, this is an experiment uh, that you can do and play with the the values. Well, you suggest you do that yourself. So, some conclusions. Describing functions give an an interpretation of nonlinear systems. That that helps to give you some insight. It's not... Well, very well usable for, for a detailed analysis, then you have to do simulations. But the disadvantage of nonlinear systems is that the simulation is always ad hoc. If you use other values of the input signals, uh, other amplitudes, you have different solutions. That's why we used, try to reduce everything to a linear system. If you can describe a system as a linear system, you can make general conclusions about the behavior of the system. For a nonlinear system, it's always uh, with an ad hoc character. Hmm? Okay. One way to an- analyze a little bit more analytically is with describing functions, but that's only valid at the border at inst- of instability, and only valid because of that for more or less sinusoidal signals, or maybe the other way around. Because we did the analysis for sinusoidal signals, it's only valid at the border of instability. Mm-hmm. And we only take into account the first harmonic of the Fourier series, so we make a lot of approximations. So you have always to be careful with very hard conclusions.